What's going on, everybody? This is James Grandmaster Facts Voice, and this is another episode of the Facts Project. Today, special guest, Chris Moses, Red Sea Comics, creator of the Saturn Effect and Soma City. Thank you for being here, brother. Thanks for having me on, man. I appreciate yeah, abso- it. Absolutely. So to get right into it, um, you started, uh, what year did you start Red Sea Comics? I started Red Sea Comics uh, late 2020. Okay. Late 2020, yeah. And out of all this reading and knowledge and background that you've got off of comic books for the duration of your life, what made you want to start your own indie comic publishing company? Well, the first things I put out, the Saturn Effect Ajax, were uh, online for free as a web comic. And uh, I actually didn't, they didn't have, I didn't have my own comic publishing label at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't until um, later on when I started to branch out and wanted to bring on other, you know, make other titles like Soma City that I was like, okay, let me put this all under a label because not everything is the Saturn effect. Not everything is in the Saturn effect world. Right. Um, so I, I have a friend, uh, Lanier, who uh, is also into making uh, indie comics and he has his own um, little brand uh, called, uh, not, you know, the indie brand called uh, From Scratch Comics. And he, he's been doing that for a minute. And uh, he's been, he was like, you should make your own, your own label, own label. And he was like, Yo, you just like, just do it. And I was like, all right, man, you're right. And, uh, and that's what we did. And so, and then we've been growing ever since. And we got a bunch of books coming out, you know, this starting in the spring with Alpha 4. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we have a bunch of books right afterwards and a bunch of new titles that we haven't um, put out yet uh, that I hope everyone is excited to read and jump into. Dope. Now, now you you basically just let us know that you uh, you had the ability to put out your comic digitally first. Did you do that basically creating your own website and then putting the comic out or did you like go through like webtoons or something like that i actually did both simultaneously so i had a webtoon and i also had a website at www.thesoundeffect.com mm-hmm. and i put up the first issue then the second and then the third um and then we discontinued that online free content and then we started to transition to kickstarter with the Saturn effect alpha which is uh, a, a spinoff, but continues the main storyline and will uh, eventually take us to the end of the Saturn effect. It's true. Cause uh, not only did you have these, uh, these three issues of this digital comic of uh, the Saturn effect Ajax, but then it jumped into alpha, which is a continuation right. of the Titan war. So right. uh, at first glance, without even reading any dialogue, me looking at the artwork and uh you have a gentleman uh last name Mazzoli, correct? Yeah, Francesco Mazzoli from from Italy. He's a great guy. So, I, if I'm looking at the artwork correctly from the Saturn effect, I'm going to of course tell in my head that you are a big anime fan. Definitely. Definitely. Okay. Absolutely. Okay, bet cuz like literally I'm seeing the way that the characters are drawn. And uh, the, my, literally the first thing that I'm thinking of is the way that the characters are drawn was Silverhawk's old old school cartoon TV show that I watched as a kid. And mm-hmm. and the, the, the facial expressions, Hunter x Hunter. I mean, I love Hunter x Hunter. It's great. It's, it's, a, it's an awesome show. Oh. Awesome anime. Awesome manga. Um, Matsoli is very heavily influenced by Sean Gordon Murphy and 
you know, Matteo Scalera, who are both obviously have like, uh, they're influenced by manga. And also Masoli is very heavily influenced by manga. I think this new generation of artists, like it's it's impossible after if you grew up in the 90s on to yeah. have not been or like you know late 80s on you it's impossible not to have been influenced by manga anime uh and the like and especially now if you look at the stuff that's like hyper popular like everything has like a nice sort of anime digital sort of feel to it um and yeah so i i would say alpha definitely has really fast-paced storytelling um, and very visual, um, beautiful art and immersive art um, that is, you know, lined by Mazzoli and then brought um, to another level with the colors by um, Marco D'Alessandro and then lettered by Reed Hinckley Barnes, who letters all my books. So, um, yeah, it's anime, definitely a big part of just how I write. I like to tell stories that are like, that have deep characters and characters will all have their arcs. You know, you can watch an anime, like you could watch an anime like Naruto and you'll see that there's a bunch of characters, a bunch of different character arcs and we can get really deep in each one of them. The sound effect is similar in the sense that all of these characters have their own arcs and their own stories that are, are going on and interplaying and interweaving with each other as we head forward towards the conclusion of the sound effect. This is true. And also, in uh in in possibly like reading some of the some of the previews for it um within uh issue one and issue two i have to ask how many times have you watched aliens i've watched aliens a couple times i've <laughs> definitely right. seen i've definitely watched Aliens a couple times because um, literally like the concept of space marines as soon as i saw it i was like i was like yeah, oh I'm, yeah that looks like like hicks and ripley and everything is like that that's right, right up my alley Right. I yes, definitely. I also my my grandfather was a, was a marine, ah. um, and so it was definitely uh, a little homage to him as well. Um, you know that he's when he was alive was a very uh, supportive uh, guy. So it was nice to pay a little homage in in my in my sci-fi title to to him and the service that he provided when he immigrated here from Jamaica. So that's what's up. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, the Caribbean vibe. All right. Yeah, yeah. My whole family's from the Caribbean. Like yeah. every everyone, like St. Lucia, Haiti, um, Jamaica. So okay. Now, um, to get into the story, if you could tell this uh this uh, the story of the, the siblings, uh what, what is it, Alpha and Centauri, right? Right. Yes. Now, now if for, for somebody that is has never read the story for the first time, how would you mm -hmm. describe them as the basis and the and the main protagonist in this story? Uh, so they're st our stellar siblings, Alpha and Centauri. Uh, Alpha is a uh, fun-loving, smart, quick-thinking, um, but kind of goofy uh, and still trying to get his, you know, find his own and um, really grow into his leadership role, uh, but is very into teamwork and into into family and togetherness and friendship. And that's that's his whole thing. And Centauri, on the other hand, while very valiant and very courageous and believing in the in you know the bigger picture, she's uh, a lot more uh, individually driven, and she's finding um, she's trying to be able to open up and uh, integrate herself more into the the family unit or of the the ragtag rebels that are uh, challenging the Earth Empire. Nice. 
Now, uh, in the transition from Ajax to Alpha, and then, of course, uh, the, the aforementioned uh, Helena. Am I saying that correctly? Yeah. Yeah. Now, now describe the Titan War. It's basically brought to us the way you've written it through three different point of views as it's going to carry forth. Correct. Why did you intersectionally do that in that manner? Well, I wanted to. So there's a few reasons for it. So I wanted okay. to tell a story a little bit differently. I wanted to do multiple sort of narratives and sort of go into a character and give them their own sort of shine in one moment and then being able to go somewhere else with another character and let them do their thing and so and then bring it all together um which uh, if people that will, will be very happy that it was supported our last uh kickstarter when that goes out hopefully digitally at the end of this month um with alpha three when it all starts to come together from, from all these different books as they all uh, collide in in this one story um but I, I wanted to tell this immersive story i wanted to tell it differently uh, mm -hmm. and then there was also a business motivation behind it as well uh it, anyone that's making comics knows that your number one a number one always sells the best it's the first book very true um, and people that's like the ground floor that's when you're going to get the most people that are like really interested in it and you know it's always the one like if you're going to sell a, a series if you're going to sell issue five of something you got to sell issue one of it nobody's just buying issue five right, right. so you gotta so it's always going to be uh, a good to have number ones and maximizing your number one that's why you know sometimes they renumber comic books because it's like they relaunch it here you go because this is a number one right mm -hmm. um so the thinking being that all right well we have ajax here's ajax number one here's helena number one here's mm -hmm. alpha number one uh, and so that was that was the idea of building upon you know wanting to tell it a little bit differently and then spreading it out and like here's some free content here's a a, a kickstarter content um this allowed for uh, business wise that now when we go to conventions we have the saturn effect helena which is a one-shot um story you can get a full story in this 24 page issue drawn mm -hmm. by christian wolf and colored by marco di alessandro um but it's also a easy gateway into the rest of the Saturn effect story now. Ah, okay. I get it now. All right. right. So with the, with the concept that you've done three issues digitally and you've now, you're now, uh, your third Kickstarter for, for alpha. So that third installment of alpha has already been fully funded. Wh right. Who's to say that now you have a full volume trade arc that you could build up together, even with that one shot that you could sell collectively well you're sort of jumping the gun but because we will be doing that we have one more issue in volume one so ah. volume one is four issues and volume two is four issues so it's a okay. whole eight arc story of alpha uh and volume uh and alpha four issue four is already completed we're just coloring it right now so um it's coming very very soon it's will be this spring um probably kickstarting sometime in uh, we'll say late April, May. Um, don't don't hold me to that, but it'll probably be around then. Okay. And uh, and yeah, and then at some point we'll collect it into a trade. But issue four is coming, and it's a whopping fifty pages, a double oh. double stuffed, extra 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 long issue. Um, and it's told exactly how I would want to tell a story. I hate when things have huge buildups and then make you come for another issue. No, oh. you motherfuckers, you're going to get everything in this one. It's amazing. You're going to love it. 
pure just sci-fi greatness up into a great conclusion an insane climax um that's been two years in the making you know so and this is this is the end of volume one so and it's the mid midpoint of uh of our story so i wow. hope everyone is looking forward to that so now you you're saying that basically it's the midpoint of the story how much of the saturn effect is completely written and how many volumes could this act actually be uh, so the Saturn effect is has been has been finished for a while. Okay. Um, so I've I'm I'm the type I'm a type of writer that gets like really really into their the project and like bangs out all the scripts as fast as I can. Okay. Um, to maybe the detriment of my social life and my physical health, but um, oh. <laughs> I mean it just but you know that's just how it is how it is sometimes. Yep. But um, you just got it for the craft for. You know, if you want to, if you have something to express, you just got to get it down. Um, nobody, nobody's going to write it for you. You, you got to do it. So uh, I, I got it all done. I think I, I finished, that was probably last year, um, around January or February, I finished pro, uh, Alpha 8. Um, and that's, that's, that's the last one. So that's, there's two volumes of, of the Saturn Effect. Um, and, uh, you know, maybe there's more to come afterwards, but, uh, we'll, that's, that's a long ways away. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is just goes to show you how long the comic book process takes, you know, it's, you, you know, you, writing a script takes a long time. Um, drawing a script takes even longer, you know? So, um, it's good if you are a writer that you get ahead of it, you know, because, also, all the all the crazy shit, all the cool shit you see in a comic, all the cool references, it was planned. You have to be get ahead right. of it. You know, you have to get it down. You have to write it so that you can go back and make it better. So um, I wrote all that a long time ago. And I, but that doesn't mean I still don't touch up the scripts. I was literally just touching up Alpha 6. Um, we're currently drawing, um, or Mazzoli's currently drawing Alpha 5 um, and should be done with that at any day now because that man is a machine. Mm. Um and it's, you know, it takes some time to, to get to the finish line. And as a writer, you're going to always be a lot faster than your artists. Um, yeah. Unless you have some godly artist that's insanely fast and you're slow as shit. Uh -huh. um, <laughs> because um, that, cause those are the only thing that that's the only way. So, I mean, if that's the case then write faster, buddy, but yeah. <laughs> whoever's listening to this, um, but yeah, it's usually your artist is going to be way behind you. And, you know, that's that's totally OK. That's just how it is. Their process takes a lot, a lot longer than yours does. Mm -hmm. And you got to keep yourself busy in other ways. But it's important to get that out and get ahead of it because it'll make your product that much better for it. So now, um, would you say that it, has there been ever been opportunities where your artist has created the panels for you and has caused you to rewrite your script? Oh yeah, all the time, all the time, <laughs> all, the time. all the time. I would say it depends on on the title and who I'm who I'm working with. Um, uh, generally, because for for most comic scripts, my comic scripts are are very standard, traditional. But something like the Saturn Effect. Uh, has a more it was written as a screenplay so oh. Mazzoli has a lot more freedom with how his the pages are dictated and um, sort of laid out and so that can lead to him having some crazy ideas and I'm also very flexible like the whole thing 
with what I want to do is yeah it's my stuff like the world that I wrote but I want them to have fun with it it's not like I don't want them to think this is like a, the worst job ever it's like this is the project that we're working on and that we both have to believe in and it has to be fun for both of us right. um, so if they have an idea and they have something cool they want to do it's like can we do this I'm like hell yeah like why not why can't we do this um one example is after I'd written uh Alpha One, which I did write as a one shot before writing the the last seven issues, um, Mazzoli asked me he wanted he, was, he he drew a couple of sketches and he was like I want a character like this in it and I want a character like this in it and those two characters ended up becoming Zex and Fauna, which have a huge who are the main story antagonists in Alpha Two and for the rest of the Saturn Effect. Um, so it's my, the story like my writing is flexible. Uh, just like how their art and art styles are flexible around my scripts, you know, that's part of the collaboration is like we make something together, we make this awesome product together. Um, and, and yeah, so that, that leads to, you know, sometimes the scripts a little different, like, then then the final product, and I have to rewrite some dialogue. And that's totally fine, because that takes whatever time for me to do when that page or pages took, you know, days, weeks to get done. Um, and that's totally fine, but that's, it, it also depends on the artist though, because there's some other projects where, um, that I have that uh, will be coming out to TBD mm -hmm. um, with, with uh, Scout Comics um, oh. called, Control, called Control Plus Z, um, T TBD, TBD, um, when, that, when that'll be released, but um, I had that project is with Ricardo Secchi and uh, Marcos Martins and also Rita Hickley Barnes on, on lettering. And uh, that for that script, Ricardo his his style is so like specific and so like detailed and takes so much time and effort. Right. Um, you know, and and the way that I crafted the script was in a way with and then what I gave him with in terms of references was done in a way to so, like save him time so that he didn't have to think of all that extra stuff to change my script. He can just draw and do his thing. Right. And that so it's, it depends on who you're who who I'm working with, of how much something will change. Whereas somebody like um, Christian Wolf with Soma City or the Saturn Effect Helena, there's a middle ground. Right. Like sometimes he'll read a page and be like, you know, buddy, this needs a couple extra panels. And I trust him to be able to add that and not do, you know, and, and, and enhance my script and bring the script and the story to that next level. Not just because he wants to draw something for fun, like he's trying to make the story that we're both working on better. So. Um, yeah, it happens all the time. And I, it's, it's a good thing. Generally, I mean, sometimes it gets a little crazy. And sometimes it's like if it has a jet like a huge impact on the story that doesn't fly. But if it's like something that we can work around and work and collaborate on and iterate on and make better and that will bring the whole product up to another level. I mean, it's totally cool. It's totally fine. I'm always for it. So how would you say uh, how detail oriented do you have to be in your writing to write a sci fi comic? uh whew, that i guess it depends it really depends you can get really really into it you can get really anal about all the details that you want and all the little easter eggs in the background and all that kind of stuff or you can have a little bit more of an open freestyle and like let there be interpretation for the artist as well and maybe attach reference images and some sort of um like bible on the side but let them develop and design and, and go from there mm -hmm. um you know it's it, it really depends there's some details 
obviously get lost if you you know if you it's a comic book script that you're writing right for somebody Mm. you know somebody nobody's reading your comic book script they're reading the they're going to see the art that comes afterwards so the the instructions that you need to put in for sci-fi a story really should only be the stuff that you think are is important for the story and then the color for like the world and like what makes it cool and makes it different and the culture and the the history and all that kind of cool stuff and the technology um but a lot of that stuff is going to be you know added and by the artists because that's part of their vision from what that, that script that you're that you're giving them um so it, it, it depends. It, it, it depends would be my answer on that one. Right. Um, you don't have to get too crazy, though. It's not like it. Like I said, it's nobody else is reading your comic book script. So usually, generally, you want to save your your flowery, like colorful details for a voiceover and not really put it in your instructions. And gotcha. maybe maybe that'll be a way for your artist to find ways to color and flesh out and, um, you know, make your world come out more unique and more deep or or whatever. But um, I mean, yeah, that's that's generally how, what, what I'd say to that. OK, so then I'll just <laughs> piggyback off of what you said. Right. How important is the colorist in a sci fi comic? I mean, the colorist is is so important. There's it's the more I do it. The, and the more comics that I have com- that, that we'll be working on. So Red, Red Sea Comics, I have a Discord. And so we're all in there and we're all posting stuff. And so we're seeing all these projects come come to life and come together at the same time or, you know, staggered, obviously. Right. Um, and it seeing the comic go from these different phases all the way up to its final phase of when it's um, lined and colored and and lettered it's it's such a it's such a crazy experience of how each layer takes it to the next step takes it to that next plateau of like okay this thing is crazy like and then eventually coming to this beautiful um collaboration between all these people so the colors is super important i mean the colors is 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 they really sell a lot of mood and there's so much storytelling that comes through just with 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 that um one example is in the sound effect Helena um, being able to tell which character is which is such mm-hmm. a huge is such an important factor if you just saw the black and whites you'd be like I have no idea but that's because the way that you can tell is by how they're colored so it's it's they're huge the colors is is probably it's no less that important than the um, the the line artist um the, the interesting thing about coloring being like they're indispensable but you can have a color that just not doesn't work for a certain project so it's also very important to know that you know the colorists your colors can change because sometimes some colorist instincts are better for a certain work ah, um, okay and so it's it's important to like so, so if the question is are our colorists like in like this the most important in the sense that um you should never change them if if something if you find one that maybe works for an artist better um mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't say that but they their role in the the actual creation and production of the comic and bring it to the next level and the readability and the legibility and understanding what's what's going on in the storytelling uh they're they're invaluable they they're they're a must in in the process unless the art is made to be black and white like uh, uh like the stuff for breakneck it's very true and i'm we're going to get into that but i i wonder you put out a story um soma city number one 
And I got to think, uh, during the pandemic, what was going through your head to come up with a contact tracer, which is basically like a police-sanctioned bounty hunter, mm. <laughs> revolving around this grimy and corrupt city that you created in Soma City. What happened right. there? Well, <laughs> okay, well, I'm from New York. Uh, okay. I grew up on Long Island, but I went to college in, in the city. And, uh, you know, my, my dad was from Brooklyn and spent a lot of time in Brooklyn and, and, and stuff like that. So, um, you know, New York is, is, is home, the, uh, the Big Apple. And uh, I mean, this, the city, the city during the pandemic was a, was a, was a shithole. It was awful. <laughs> it's always been a shithole, but it was terrible. It was even worse. It was like, Jesus Christ, this place is, is the, is sick but um more than that i mean soma city is like uh so soma city is set in a world where people are anthropomorphized microbes so think black sad meets osmosis jones mm -hmm. um and in this world um the the everything is sick the society okay. is sick the all the the structures are sick the city is sick the people are sick uh and it's definitely a mirror of what's what I sort of see going on in in life. I mean, I, we all are afflicted with different addictions or different health health ailments or anxieties and uh, or yeah. deaths and just life situations. And it's it's really it's, it's a really a sad thing. Um, and Soma City is sort of a, a a story that gives us a look into what it's like. Uh, to be in a city where every everything is is sort of falling apart around you um and but still wanting to make a change right right uh, and that's the important part of denton dials is um he's somebody that grew up on the wrong side of uh, the the law you know and uh, he still found his way back to being part of society and being part of um, the policing unit as a contact tracer and right. trying to make things right through the ways that he can, you know, through the ways that he can't through and make changes of effective changes to uh, towards the city. So uh, it definitely had some uh, influence on the, from the pandemic, but I didn't want to tell a story about COVID and, and being right. in a pandemic. I wanted to tell a story that sort of like had some things going on with our times and it's like, okay, yeah, I, uh, you know we can all sort of understand what's going on you know and uh i think if you're one of the uh the working class you you really enjoy uh denton dials and you hopefully resonates with um anyone reading because uh i mean this is sort of me channeling what hopefully what um we're all sort of feeling which is you know like there's there's something going on with society with people um and it's it's something that we need to address and sort of work towards, uh, um, you know, remedying, remedying. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> definitely. And, and when when I first like basically like read the uh, the summary from the script before I actually like uh, read the preview, I was thinking of like, uh, I remember uh, that dystopian future story uh, Repo Man. Repo Man. I don't think I've yeah. heard of Repo Man. Yeah, Repo Man was uh, mm -hmm. Jude Law and Forrest Whitaker as okay. um, well. They, they were basically it, you wouldn't describe them as repo men where they basically are repossessing a car it's okay. uh, the, the world uh loans out body parts and if you fall okay. back on your payments they come and take your that body part back oh that's a nice that's a cool concept right so i was like i was i was thinking of this as like and especially the fact that it was a contact tracer 
Mm. You know, like it that I never even heard of a contact tracer until the pandemic. Right. So it was like it was such uh, such a nuance, like a brand new job description that was put out there towards the public when the pandemic had started. And then when I'm 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 reading uh the summary for, for the book and I'm like, I was like, man, I was like, I, I almost feel bad for him that he has <laughs> this position, but he's right. got a good heart. Yeah, he does. Right. He does have a good heart. Um, yeah, I mean, you, you kind of do have to feel bad for Denton. You also find out that uh, this contact tracer position is kind of at the bottom of the totem pole and he kind of eats a lot of shit. So, yeah. um, and he's got to deal with it. And I mean, that's, that's just how it is. And he's got to figure it out. And, and that's Soma city. That's Soma city for you. It's a sick city and it's, it's a great ride. And we have, uh, hopefully we'll have issue two coming, coming soon. Dope. Dope, man. So uh, another side of this is basically the fact that although you are heavily invested in sci-fi writing and sci-fi comics, you decided to take your time and show that you're not one-dimensional and you basically jumped into the Breakneck Fantasy Anthology series. Now, what made you, was this like a, a challenge for you as far as like when you wanted to like jump into this? It's like, okay, I like, I can, I've always loved fantasy as well. You know, like mm. I can get into Game of Thrones and Lord of the Rings and Excalibur and all and Lady Hawk and all these other fantasy, uh, fantasy novels and everything like that. But to do it when I'm so invested in sci-fi, what made you want to do it? Well, so the editor for Breakneck, Jared, is one of my, was edited my, all of my scripts. So ah. uh, he, so he, he had offered me a spot, a spot in it. Um, and I had helped him, you know, uh, we we used uh, the the logo. We used my my logo guy uh, Brigitte Zucchia, who's uh, who's awesome, um, and uh, the the cover artist uh, Francesco de la Serva um, was was somebody that I, that I had found for for Jared. So I was very heavily uh, involved with the um, you know putting putting the, sort of the book together. Um, where you know, obviously Jared did heavy lifting, him and Ignacio doing all the editing and all the design work and all this, all the stuff like that. But right. um, I, so I, de but I definitely uh, had had a little bit of um, input in, in what was going on, and uh, and yeah, he asked me to do to do a story, and uh, I wrote one, and I had a different artists attached to it at first, actually, right. um, but that fell through sort of later on and getting close to the deadline. Um, and I'm always looking for artists. I'm always finding artists and sort of adding them towards to like my list of people to potentially work with or yeah. um, people that I will continue to bug until they work with me. Um, just because, you know, sometimes you find somebody that's crazy and super young and it's like, all right, let's lock this. Let's try and get a book from this kid now before Marvel and DC slide him to some exclusive contract. It's true. Um, it, that should happen. So, you know, generally, honestly, if you find somebody that's a young hotshot, just try and get try and squeeze a one shot out of him you're probably not going to get much more before he's just flooded in work that you're just not going to be able to afford for him to work on your stuff other than his on other than that stuff so you know while you can get as much work out of these really really talented uh fresh out of school um uh comic artists because um once once they're once they're big they're they're big and then they're gone so you know squeezes try and get that one shot out of them you know and and uh keep keep it pushing from there but um yeah so jared had asked me to make a story for for breakneck and i, I wrote a when i freeze hell over and i found um uh marco uh marco mm -hmm. del forno 
there's a lot of so, there's so many Marcos in in the Red Sea right now. There's Marco, Marco, Marcos. There's there's a bunch of them. Um, but yeah, so Marco Del Forno, we got him uh, to you know I sent him the script. I got him the the story bible. He came up with some crazy character designs super fast, and then he uh, came out with the the pages six pages in like a few in like a couple weeks. It was actually wild at breakneck pace. Um, and yeah, it's you know it's the first story in breakneck fantasy anthology it fully funded in one day um yeah. did really awesome uh, on kickstarter and uh jared was just at a, a comic-con in toronto showing off printed samples i believe um mm. was getting a, a good reaction from it so uh yeah i mean it, was, it came out great and it was it was a lot of fun to work on and um hopefully you'll see us uh soon with uh the second installment and, uh, you know, just another shout out to Marco Del Forno. He's also the artist on the first set of my card game that will be launching alongside okay. uh, the Saturn Effect Alpha number four as an add-on called Red Sea Legends. And it's a 3v3, three-card versus three-card card game that's easy, accessible, um, and affordable. Uh, and we'll be having a, uh, a common variation and a a more fancy holographic Kickstarter and comic convention exclusive foil variant um, for everyone to pick up. And, uh, and also we should be having some, some tutorials and uh, some gameplay matches coming soon. That's what's up. See, I ain't noticed. I didn't know you were a tabletop guy. I, I like card games. I'm a big card game guy. I, I love card games. I play a lot of Yu-Gi-Oh when I was younger um have a ton of stories from from that i played a lot of uh um i played a decent amount of magic once i play a lot of magic played mm -hmm. a, a disgusting amount of hearthstone um and then i'm also really into you know there's other card games too but i'm also really into auto battlers which are you know i would consider and a lot of people consider a variation of, of a card game so i played a lot of the original auto battler um uh, auto chess and i play tft and um, I'm generally re re relatively, I won't say I'm like a challenger, like 0.001% in these games, but usually okay. I get to a relatively high level. And I think um, that uh, allowed me to, uh, gives me a view of, a of the game from like, not the pinnacle at the very top, but not at the, um, at the very bottom and sort of being able to see uh, consumers like expectations and balancing um, sort of competitive integrity with fun which I think is something that a lot of card games or just games in general that are trying to be competitive sort of lose out on where when in the, in, in the search or the goal of trying to get a competitive game, a balanced game, a lot of the time the fun is sort of drained out of it or is lost. Um, you know, I, one, one example is like, what's the, what's everyone's favorite call of duty game. I mean, almost everyone's going to say modern warfare too. That game mm -hmm. was dumb, broken, but it was, it was fun. So it's, and that's just what is something to, to remember. I feel like for just game design or just maybe entertainment design, just anything that's entertaining. That's not, doesn't even have like even a comic book or a mm -hmm. TV show. I just like make it fun. People want to have fun. People want to enjoy something. Right. Fun doesn't mean that they have to be like, you know, laughing the whole time. Maybe you can make it something fun can be sad and depressing and, and like gripping and emotional but it's like it's it's something that's enjoyable. We want enjoyable experiences. So, um, you know, people need to write more things that are enjoyable and not not as much like people standing around talking places or, you know, going here, talking here. 
you know, going to this place, talking to this place, you know, make, make shit fun, make shit right. exciting, make shit that moves and that keeps people engaged um, and you, in anything, and that'll make it good and make it, and people will come back for more. That's what's up. Now, um, I, I saw something recently that you had posted. So, um, a little, a little bit of history, um, little, little hip hop history. So, a uh, long time ago, uh, Nipsey, Nipsey Hussle put out a mixtape that was, uh, that he only put out through his website. And he put that mixtape out for a hundred dollars, a hundred dollars of mixtape. And he didn't want to shortchange himself. And he basically said, I believe in my art so good that the only way you're going to get this music is $100 either per stream, per download, because back then there was downloads or per CD. Mm -hmm. So I looked at something that you uh, posted recently and, um, you call you put a call out to the indie comic community, basically saying that um, you know, you shouldn't undercharge for your comics. Right. Like there's a lot of indie comic creators out there that are undercharging for their art. Now, why did you feel the need to say that? Do you do are you seeing bad examples of people completely undercharging for their artwork that they're putting out and being that it's quality work that they're selling themselves short? So this, this was probably a two part answer. First part being, you can just look at uh, the comments on that thread that, uh, you know, the, the reasons why people feel that they need to charge so little for their work, um, mm -hmm. where it's like, oh, I can't, if I charge more, nobody's going to back me, or I charge more and I lost like half my backers, or I, I the big two charge like $3.99, how am I ever going to get somebody to pay $5.99 for my comic? I have to charge a dollar, like, oh, my, my shit is free, go read it here. And it's like, come up where you're never going to be able to it's not not going to be sustainable that way and i understand wanting to have reads right um and this is also not saying that you can put out garbage and people are going to just pay whatever but it means that you like if you have a quality product you can charge charge what you charge for it like put a little put a little something on it like it's and and not something exorbitant but you have to like make your money back you can't be taking losses just not even making the comic book if you're printing 100 books and you're making a if you, you lose on every book or you put it for 500 and you lose on every book like you're you're gonna only be able to make that one book you'll never be able to make another book and there's no fine like financially it just doesn't make sense comic books don't ever really make sense but like eventually if you're doing it right you should hopefully make your money back right if you're doing the kickstarter crowdfunding uh sort of way of doing it and going to conventions and printing out stock and um you know having your own online store and, and the like you'll eventually sell your products and have to restock and and you'll continue to make a little bit of profit if you charge for that you, that you make some sort of profit you can't be running on uh, in the red the whole entire time or you're going to your business is going to last less than a year um so that's that's one thing you see there people and it's don't don't overcharge, obviously, but right. it, it does mean that you shouldn't charge. Can't, you're not going to be able to charge three dollars, like, and then continue to, especially with inflation, gas prices. Like, it's just not feasible, right? Mm -hmm. um, and it hurt. It, it definitely. Uh, the thing is, consumers will pay for things that they think are worth it. If something, people will pay like fifty dollars. 
developers a tool that cuts their vegetables because they're too lazy to do it because they think it's useful right but like you know a knife like they have a knife and they can do it they can chop it for free but they'll pay 50 dollars for or even more for some machine or some gadget to do that because they see that there's worth and value in it so you need to put something out there that has worth and value but that doesn't mean then to completely undersell that worth and value like you want to sell it and it has value you gave it value by putting in your your labor other people's labor your time um and so you want to like sort of make at least a, enough back that you can print the stuff and ship it like some people lose before they even get to shipping it's like ridiculous oh. um and if you don't want any of that just charge digital because then you it's all profit you don't have to there's no like you know what i mean so um and like I said, eventually you'll make it. Uh, another part of that is people undersell their services too. Um, and that was another thing that I tweeted too. Mm. Um, and the problem with that is people charge like, you know, I'll write a comic book page for $10. And then when people, you know, other people that take their work a little bit more seriously and their time more seriously start to bid for, you know, freelance jobs, it's like the, their, their clients have this warped idea of like how things are done and how much things cost and how much like you're sort of hurting other creators by completely underselling yourself. It's like, you know, your time, like just the time to think of your script take, like takes time and hours, right? And deserves to be paid this much. And you're like, oh, I'll just do all this brainstorming for free. It's like, what are you talking about? Like your <laughs> brainstorming is like have like 90% of the writing. So it's, it, and, or it's like, I'll write this page for 10, like 10 bucks. But it's like, that's not, that's not how you, how you should market yourself. It's like, okay, you'll get hired, but like you're hurting other, other uh, writers and other creators and other artists when you're underselling yourself because it gives these clients these ridiculous ideas of like and expectations for ridiculously right. low prices and it's like this is just not this isn't how it works this isn't how it should be so uh ev and everybody does that in the indie community right and i understand we want to work we want to make money but um and and you don't want to you don't want to oversell yourself too because you you want to make ha get these clients and you want them to come back to you but you don't want to undersell because you're hurting your yourself and how much you're going to be able to make but you're also hurting other people too because these clients will then go out and then try and hire other people and have no idea what the and want a certain level of quality too it's like you're doing like this quality of work that deserves to be paid for and like paid paid like uh, you know, well, and it, I mean, I'm not saying you're going to get a car, you know, I'm not going to say right. that you're going to have like a nice house payment, but like, you, like you, some, a little bit more than like $10 to write a comic page. Like sometimes the comic book page can take, can, takes, can take a lot of effort, but like, and it might not even just be writing the panels out, all the work that you did before that, like to even get to that point. Right. So that's, uh, I'm a little animated now. I would say the, that's yeah. those are the reasons why that I, I tweeted those things. Mm -hmm. um, just wanted, it's like, yeah, people, we gotta, we gotta value ourselves, take pride in your work, um, take pride in the stuff that you've, you've made and take pride in your investment in yourself that you've done by making this, uh, this comic book product. Um, it's an investment in your future and in your career, right? So um, and in the future, when you look back, if you, if you, if you make it, if, if any of us make it, we'll look back and be like, damn, it started with that project that, and then the second project and the third project, because also it's, oh, it's not going to be one project. Right. So you can't right. undersell yourself because you got it. You're going to have to do it again. It's like, not a lot of people only have one project under their belt before they make it to Marvel, you know, uh, like, 
or, or have no experience in, in comics. Like, you know, especially this generation of indie comic creators, once they get into like 10 years from now, 15 years from now, 20 years from now, when we look back at where they started, most of them are going to have insane indie libraries that yeah. they had before they got there and then continue to build on as they were working in the, in the big two. It's true. Going on. It's true. Cause you're seeing that now with uh, a lot of people that are working within the big two. And when Substack came online, they got snatched mm -hmm. up and what are they doing? They're creating their own indie labels through their own indie publishers. They basically, it's not that they're backtracking. It's something that they've always wanted to do. They wanted to create their own characters. They wanted to create their own stories and put them out and get paid for them. So it was right. like, do I work for Marvel where I'm under contract and I got to put out like 17 stories in one month or do I require myself to, to work at the pace that I love to work in? And that way I can create a definitive story that I'm putting out myself. Right. That you that you own. Yeah. You know what I'm which saying? Is a, which is a big thing. Definitely. Like owning it is like the probably because it at the end of the day, like your big payoff in comics isn't probably going to be from your sales. It'll be from, you know, that movie studio or that TV studio option. Adaptation. Maker. So exactly. Yep. Bro, it, it look, it was it was great talking to you. If you could let everybody know uh, exactly where they can find your books as far as Saturn Effect, Soma City, where can where can they get uh, any Red Sea Comics imprints? Well, that's easy at uh, www.redseacomics.com. Uh, you can find digital prints for all, uh, digital copies for all of that. And uh, if you want physical, either find me at a convention or be ready to back uh, in middle, late spring, uh, Alpha 4. Dope, man. Bro, it was excellent having you. So uh, I appreciate you joining me. me. Yeah, man, this was great. So from James Grandmaster Facts Boyce, Chris Moses for Red Sea Comics, we... Are uh, out.